And welcome to this edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Alex Cabbage Carter's back in. Unfortunately, Jordan Levine is unable to join us. He has an adult life where he's moving into an apartment now. And congratulations to him on that. And hopefully he is doing well. He's going to join us next week when it comes to the Bears preview and the recap from the Steelers game. However, I'd like to start this podcast episode. Uh, just to say a couple things. Today is September 11th. 19 years since the 9-11 attacks on the Twin Towers. Uh, I think it was the Pentagon or some sort of monument in Washington, D.C. And also the crashed plane in Shanesville, Pennsylvania, if I'm getting that town correctly. Uh, we remember the people who died for our country, not just first responders, but the people who have left their lives behind and that were on those flights. And unfortunately left their families behind, and were good workers in the working class, especially the ones in the building. So take a moment of silence here. Okay, so let's get to the next subject. Um, Obviously, I just went over my little 9-11 tribute. Uh, I was not alive in 2001, I was born in 2003, my mom knew people who worked in those buildings, unfortunately a couple of them died, and some including police officers and business workers, but anyway, let's go to a different subject, so before I get to what I thought of the Houston Texans-Kansas City Chiefs game last night, I want to talk about something, so days ago, Dak Prescott, or it was even yesterday maybe even, I can't remember, but he was tweeting basically about how he's been facing depression, how he's been getting help over it. His brother died by suicide a couple of months ago. I don't remember which month, but just because he's a cowboy doesn't mean that we go rant on him for that. That's not what I'm talking about. Skip Bayless went after him and said, why are you being so depressed right now? You're supposed to be the leader of America's team. Are you a piece of trash? I don't care if he works for Fox, I don't care if he works for CBS, I don't care if he works for NBC, I don't care if he works for Yes or ESPN, I don't care. You don't say that. I don't care if I'm just a podcaster and you're a higher up, you don't say that. You know, you don't tell people how to feel. That's one rule in life. I don't care how it is, you don't tell people how to feel. And you're a Cowboys fan, and the only reason you said that is not because, you know, you care about the Cowboys. You care about ripping them and, you know, takes and everything on your show because all you did last year, and you know what, maybe for good reason last year, in some cases, you ripped on Dak Prescott, you ripped on the Cowboys, you ripped on Jason Garrett. So, you know what, stop your bullshit right now, stop your bullshit, and actually move forward and say I'm sorry, because that was not right. You know, I get it, you want your team to do good, but at the same time, don't go out there and say, hey, you can't be depressed about this. You don't tell somebody how to feel. You're a piece of trash. And shame on Shannon Sharp and Jenny Taft. I don't know, I didn't watch the show. I did not watch the show yesterday or wherever he made the comment or even talked about it. But if they let it happen and they didn't criticize him for it, shame on Jenny Taft and shame on Shannon Sharp. I don't watch their show for a lot of reasons because they just make bogus takes, really. There's a lot of Fox Sports shows like Colin Cowherd and a couple other ones. But my main point is, you know, shame on whoever, you know, decided not to stop it. 
Like, if it was a tweet, yeah, I could understand Jenny Taft and Shan Sharp's point, well, we had no idea, blah, blah, blah. But I'm pretty sure it was brought up on the show. And, you know, if they didn't do anything to at least criticize him, shame on them. Because they're just trying to get ratings, reviews, and paychecks. Let's take it that way. So, in all honesty, do I like Dak as a quarterback? No, because he plays for the rival Dallas Cowboys. But I sympathize with him. Because a lot of people in this country have committed suicide. This month, Suicide Prevention Month. And unfortunately, Dak is depressed. Unfortunately. From a Giants fan to a Cowboys quarterback, get better, Dak. Please. Anyway, let's get into football. So yesterday was the Kansas City Chiefs opener. They had about 16,000, 17,000 fans against the Houston Texans. Uh, it really seemed like the Houston Texans got up to a hot start. Rest of the game, they were silent. And they kept getting beat on the same play. Whether it was the wide receiver coming across the formation or whatever. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was actually on my fantasy team, so he helped me. Running across the formation, doing whatever, inside zones, short passes, sticks. That's what they mainly were pulling last night in the Chiefs offense. And they won. They won 31-20. to No, 34-20 to was the score. 34-20 was the score. And it seemed close. But then again, they had a gigantic lead, and Houston only caught up in the final seconds. So, I didn't expect much from Houston in the way of winning over the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs is still the same team, no preseason, but I just think they're still hyped and momentum is there. So, I'm going to talk about the Steelers and the Giants. This is the first Friday in a long time that we are getting you know, football previews and this, that, and the other thing. Before the Super Bowl, obviously, was the last time, but... For Giants, it was since December, so it's been a couple months, and there was no preseason to begin with. So let's take a look at some key topics when we're discussing this game. So Big Ben Roethlisberger, he's coming back from a elbow injury, and he's going to be working to at least get back on the forefront because the offense, and I'll explain that in a minute, was one of the worst in the NFL last year. Actually worse than the Giants, and I'll get to that in a minute. Chase Claypool is making his debut. I personally wanted him in the draft because he's a big, stocky guy from Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is my favorite college football team. So that's the reason I wanted him. Also, David DeCastro, he's out Monday. So that's going to be a big thing for them. Matt Filer is playing the left guard position. Stefan Wisniewski, the former chief and the former Eagles, playing right guard. And Zach Banner won the right tackle role. And you also got Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald at tight end. Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson. I don't know if he's going to be in or out um, on Monday. You got James Washington likely in the slot, but they might rotate. And you also got Claypool, who could be making an impact. But I don't know if he's going to necessarily get all the reps that he's supposed to. But we'll see what happens Monday night. Mika Fitzpatrick, he's supposed to make a major impact when it comes to making plays on the defense, whether it's tackles for a loss, interceptions, because he did a lot of that last year, and well-deserved the Pro Bowl, well-deserved. Coming from a trash bag in Miami that was rebuilding, and now he's coming to Pittsburgh, and he's making all these types of defensive plays. Uh, next thing on the list, Giants online will be tested. Gates, Fleming, new guys on the O-line, and same with Andrew Thomas as well. Nick Gates, he's playing center. He's going to line up against Cam Hayward and Stephon Tuitt. So it's not necessarily going to be the easiest of tasks, especially your new position. And you're going to be snapping the ball. You're going to be focusing on a guy in front of you. It's not easy. Andrew Thomas, 
He's the rookie left tackle out of Georgia. He's facing T.J. Watt, so that's not going to be easy. The last time that happened was Eric Flowers and T.J. Watt. Well, T.J. Watt got two and two and a half, three sacks off Eric Flowers in preseason. Just imagine if it was in the regular season, though. And Cameron Fleming is going to be facing uh, Bud Dupree. Last time that happened, that was actually the game where Steelers fans claimed they got robbed because... Jesse James either did, didn't make a catch, whatever case you want to make on that. I personally thought he made the catch and just got it over the goal line for a touchdown, but that's another argument, that's another topic. In that game, Cameron Fleming gave up one sack to Bud Dupree. I was watching the highlights yesterday just to take up the notes, and the Steelers just slept on. A lot of broadcasters, a lot of people are saying, you know, the Steelers are not going to be that good this year, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be looking to prove people wrong. Let's just put it that way. And what a great way start against this Giants defense so uh, three keys to the game Jordan wrote his even though he's not going to be on today so I'll read it for him number one put pressure on Ben Roethlisberger I get that point there this Giants defense needs to do a lot of pass rushing because Ben Roethlisberger has a lot of worthy wide receivers and a lot of depth there and you're going to be testing Corey Ballantyne who could be likely starting I didn't see any official depth chart yet? Nobody did. It was the unofficial depth chart. And even if you're versing somebody like Darnay Holmes or Isaac Yayadom, you know, those guys have struggled. Ballantyne and Yayadom. And Holmes will be making his first appearance in the NFL. So it's not going to be easy, especially against Pittsburgh, which offense, which their offense is going to be looking to regain all the hype. Number two, run the ball effectively. And his point, and what she told me, he said, run the ball effectively. That way, you get them slow on the ground in the way that they can't stop the run. And also, where you're not relying on the pass as much in a way. Because if you can't get the ball running, here on the football, you're going to be relying on Daniel Jones for a lot of passes. And they're going to put more pressure on him. Number three, stop James Conner. Just like what we talked about in another thing. Stop James Conner. Make them one-dimensional. In the case of passing. That's when the pressure needs to be on. But we didn't acquire Blake Martinez and Austin Johnson for them to be scraps. No, we signed them for them to be elite. Not necessarily elite. Let me take that back. Blake Martinez to be a run-stopping linebacker. Johnson to be a rotational defensive lineman where he could stop the run. So that's that's kind of where I'm putting that one. So here's my three keys. Uh, number one, contain, neutralize, and slow down the pass rush. That has to be key. With this new offensive line, they have to do that. They have to do that. I mentioned Thomas making first start at left tackle in the NFL. Also, Cam Fleming, he's going to be making his first start at right tackle in a couple of years because I'm pretty sure the fill-ins that he had to make in Dallas, he had to start at left tackle. I know one of them was against the Jets. I don't know. I think he started another game, but I'm not going to go into that right now. So number two is put pressure on Big Ben in the offense. If we get enough pressure on Big Ben, he's going to do short passes. I'm just going to say that right now, or they're going to stick to running the ball. But either way, we have to put pressure. Because if we don't put pressure, even if you're not getting sacks, if you're not putting pressure on the quarterback, especially Big Ben, you know, Big Ben's coming into this game, he's all hyped and whatnot, you know, his first game in almost a year because of the elbow injury. And he, everybody's going to look to hit him. Everybody's going to look to hit him. And... Hitting him and forcing pressure on him will get his brain whacked up, for lack of better words. And, you know, that will at least make them either one-dimensional 
or at least have Randy Fickner limit the playbook in some type of plays. But for the Giants, especially with the acquisitions they made this offseason with Kyler Fackrell bringing back Golden, um, maybe some rotational outside linebackers, the ones they drafted as well, you want to put pressure on Big Ben to help this defense. That's one of the problems they had. Everybody's talking about last year, oh, the offensive line is the number one problem. No. Pass rush and defense. And, you know, the back end of the defense. That was a problem. Couldn't generate enough pressure. You know, James Betcher, oh, I'm a blitz guy. I'm this and that and the other thing. Well, they were supposedly like 14th in pressures or something along those stats. But again, they were 22nd or 21st in sacks. I think something like that. But I could actually pull that up right now because I have a stat sheet for that. But number three, get ready for quick passes. If you are limited to a one-dimensional offense and maybe you can't get the running game started right away, Get ready for those quick passes because, in a way, they will find the quarterback. They will find the quarterback. They will pressure the quarterback. They will do this, that, and the other thing. TJ Watt will try to get back there and force some fumbles. So, in a way, you really need to get ready for those quick passes. If pressure's coming up the middle, if it's a blitz, and, you know, even if it's not a blitz, you still want their defense on limbs. Different case. I know it's a lack of better words again, but... You want your offense jump started. And I'm not saying oh, and I'm not saying never go down the field. I'm just saying, you know, wear out the defense a little bit. This is one of the league's best defenses. Take advantage right now. So Jordan made some key matchups and I'm gonna explain some stats as well. Uh Evan Ingram versus Devin Bush. Evan Ingram needs to stay healthy this game. Devin Bush, second year linebacker out of Michigan. TJ Watt versus Andrew Thomas mentioned that one that's going to be a tough one for him and that's going to be a challenge for him Nick Gates versus Cameron Hayward that's going to be tough knowing he's been playing center for the first time in his NFL career in a game Juju versus James Radbury Juju Smith-Schuster wasn't necessarily healthy all games last year so he's looking to bulk up maybe get another thousand yard season he can't get it in one game but he could work towards it this game especially against a defense like this James Bradbury, he's had a mixed camp so far, but he definitely earned his spot on the roster. And then, especially in the red zone, if they use the tight ends, Jabot Peppers on Eric Ebron, especially in that formation, maybe they use Minka to cover Ingram. I don't know what they'll do, but Peppers and Ebron, and I'm going to bring it up another point in a couple of minutes, how a lot of Giants fans, you know, thought Jabot Peppers was one of the best safeties in New Jersey. Meanwhile, his stats were a little underwhelming. And I'm not going to totally say, oh, Jabril Peppers is horrible. But at the same time, beat writers were right and some Giant fans were right on the case of the, the big plays that Jabril Peppers made last season overshadowed some of the smaller plays that he gave up. So that's something just to look for. But skipping to the next part here on my stat sheet, take a look a little bit. Uh, for this one, Minka Fitzpatrick, last year, five interceptions, 16 games started, and the five interceptions in this 14 games started, those were with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He allowed a 52% completion percentage, which is really good for a safety of his caliber. He had one touchdown, 46.3 passer rating, 36 yards after the catch, which is really good, seven missed tackles, and... The tackles he made, the total tackles he did make last year was, I believe, 69. So that was only about 10.9%. But safeties are more likely to miss tackles than maybe like an edge rusher or someone like that. 
unless you're Alec Ogletree or someone else of that caliber in a really bad way. So, and then you go to Ben Roethlisberger last year. Obviously, he was in limited time, so you can't really say, oh, he was horrible last year. No, because I'm pretty sure he would have been better than Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. So, he had started two games last year. Went 0-2. Then, he had 35 out of 62 completed passes. 56.5 completion percentage. 351 yards. No touchdowns. One interception. There was that really bad game where the Steelers lost, I think it was like 33-3 to to the Patriots, and they lost to the Seahawks the next game. Sacked only twice. His offensive line was 10th in giving up sacks, which is really good. You got Juju Smith-Schuster, 12 games last year started. Uh, appeared in all of them, of course. 70 targets, 42 receptions, 552 yards, uh, 3 touchdowns. And this is also with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges' quarterbacks. 60% catch percentage. I know the extra stats in there as well. Uh, 76 was his longest. The past two years, actually, 97 was his longest reception. And everybody knows the two important plays. One was, I believe, against the Lions. And the other one was against the Broncos in 2018. They actually lost that game, by the way. But that's another whole different ball game. To Eric Ebron, who's coming over from Indianapolis, who had some good seasons over there. His highest amount of yards, though, was 750. That was in 2018 especially when he faced the Giants, but I'm not going to go ahead and look at those stats up right now, but he can definitely be utilized by the Steelers in a definite big way. Vince McDonald is not somebody to sleep on either. So I'll move on next to my other stat sheet as well. Chase Claypool, I'm not going to say he's going to be totally involved, but in his four seasons at Notre Dame, he had 150 receptions for 2,159 yards. His best season coming his senior season. I remember watching a lot of those games because I'm a Fighting Irish fan if I didn't already mention it. Uh, 66 receptions, 1,037 yards, 13 touchdowns. And then the yards from scrimmage were actually the same because he was never rushing. Justin Pennick brought this up in a way. Uh, it could be flawed. It could not be flawed. Depends how you see it. How I see it, it's 5-3. to three. And I'm going to read you the tweet right now and then I'll go down the list. Top 3... Steelers pass rushers, T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, Cam Hayward, versus Giants top five pass rushers, Marcus Golden, Shane Ziminis, Lorenzo Carter, Leonard Williams, and Dexter Lawrence. Number comparisons for QB hits and QB pressures. So QB hits for New York Giants, 77. QB hits for the Pittsburgh Steelers, 76. QB pressures for New York Giants, 117. QB pressures for Pittsburgh, 120. This was last year, of course. So the way you could see it's flawed is that they have three dominant rushers. We have sort of a mixed bunch, as that goes to show. James Betcher last year kind of had a system where you weren't really having a number one guy. I mean, you could have a number one guy, but Golden is more of a number two pass rusher. But we're coming into this year where you're not going to be relying on one guy for the sacks. You're going to be going multiple pass rushers, Golden, Zimenez, Carter, even guys in the defensive line like Williams and Dexter Lawrence. So you take that how it is, but skip to Deontay Johnson. Last year, he appeared in 16 games, but he did start 12. He had 92 targets, 59 receptions, 680 yards. And James Washington actually had more yards, but both of them had more yards than Juju Smith-Schuster. As I mentioned, that Juju Smith-Schuster was injured a little bit last season, did not play a couple games. Five touchdowns for 
Deontay Johnson, 64.1 catch percentage. He was also included four plays in the rushing game, four rushes for 41 yards. And then this, these stats, guys, are all coming off of profootballreference.com. If you want to look them up, free to use. James Washington, the second-year man, he appeared in 15 games last season, 10 games started, 80 targets, 44 receptions, 735 yards. They're really looking for him to step up. Three touchdowns, 55% catch percentage. And also, again, the other stuff, three touchdowns, if I didn't mention that already, 9.2 yards per target. So let's move on to the next set of stats. Stats I put out here are probably because it's week one, and I just want to help you guys you know, see the primary players were on the Steelers and the Giants last year or whatever, you know, see their stats from last year to see what they're coming into this year. Uh, for TJ Watt last year, he had a total of 14 and a half sacks, eight forced fumbles, which is really good. Uh, pressures, he had 59, he had 14 and a half sacks, as I mentioned, 19 QB knockdowns, 23 hurries, and was sent on 80 blitzes. Now, he wasn't really primary in pass coverage, so I'm not even going to read that stat, but he's more of a pass rusher, as I mentioned. Eight missed tackles, 12.7 missed tackle percentage. That comes with the combined tackles being 55. Now, going back to Bud Dupree, with a franchise tag this year, we don't know if he's going to be brought back next season, but that's for Steelers fans to debate, not myself. So, Bud Dupree last year had the best season of his career in terms of sacks, 11.5. He... Recovered two fumbles, forced four. As you see, this is a very impactful Pittsburgh defense. He had 12 missed tackles last year, 15% missed tackles. Obviously, for a pass rusher, you sort of, but at the same time, you don't expect that in a couple of different formats, depending on player traits. Now, QB knockdowns, he only had five. He had 11 hurries. Was He was sent on 98 blitzes, was actually more than TJ Watt. And T.J. Watt had more sacks. He had 28 pressures and 68 combined tackles, if I didn't mention that already. Cam Hayward, he probably had one of his best seasons, but his best season was in 2017 where he had 12 sacks. But as far as pressure goes, it's harder because he's in the interior. But he had 12 QB knockdowns, 11 hurries. He created 33 pressures, 6 missed tackles. Again, missed tackles, even though I keep going over that. It's not necessarily, you know, a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing in a different way. I'm not saying missed tackles are good, but at the same time, if the good overshadows the bad by a lot and you're on a good defense, it's not as recognizable. So move on to the next part of the stat sheet as well. For Devin Bush last year, I'm going to go over his passer rating and that stuff as well. Uh, for completion percentage, he was targeted 68 times, 46 completions, 67.6 completion percentages are mentioned, 435 yards, gave up five touchdowns, which is something he will need to improve on, 97.4 passer rating, then on 37 blitzes, two hurries, one QB knockdown, one sack, four pressures, 109 combined tackles, 14 missed tackles, and also he had... One forced fumble last year, four pass deflections, two interceptions, and as I mentioned, the sacks and the combined tackles. Now to go to Jabril Peppers, and that brings me to my next point about how he was really, I would say, overshadowed, undershadowed, whatever. It's really overshadowed. 
how the big impact plays as a playmaker. I'm not saying that's not good, it's not bad, whatever. But at the same perspective, you know, he forced multiple fumbles last year. He had one interception against the Redskins, but um, did an 84 passer rating, which is actually more than Blake Martinez, who a lot, a lot of Giants fans frowned upon when coming here because of the high passer rating. Oh, what if he, you know, doesn't cover tight ends? Started 11 games last year. He had one interception, as I mentioned, 36 yards, going back to the house, 63.9% completion percentage against, gave up less yardage than his year before in Cleveland, but the completion percentage was higher, gave up one touchdown last year, 84 passer rating, as I mentioned, 155 air yards, sent on 27 blitzes, did not get a sack, even though he forced three hurries, and also the missed tackle percentage was a little high. And he actually had the same amount of missed tackles as Antoine Bethea. And Curtis Riley, if you remember, had 18 missed tackles the year before. But Peppers was being the strong safety. And Riley was a free safety the year before. But that's another subject to talk about. Now, James Bradbury, last year he recorded three interceptions, which is a career high for him. 12 pass deflections, one sack. And if you want to go into passer rating and all that... He was targeted 97 times, 58 completions made against him, 59.8 completion percentage, which is really good, 644 yards, 70.1 passer rating, allowed one touchdown only compared to the six he allowed the year before, Um, 477 air yards, two blitzes he was set on, one pressure, one sack, 65 combined tackles, and a nine and nine missed tackles, 12.2 missed tackle percentage. So now I'm going to get to the point of where I'm going to put in some of the stats that I researched going based off of last year. So the Steelers defense versus Giants offense, Steelers offense versus Giants defense, or I could either switch that up and go Steelers offense versus Giants offense, Steelers defense versus NYG defense. So start for the Steelers defense. They were fifth in total yards per game, third in passing yards per game. 14th in rushing yards per game, which is a little shocking, but they were obviously better on the passing spectrum. 6th in points per game, and 1st in sacks with 53 in the league. Now, you revert to their offense, which was their low point last season, especially after Big Ben got hurt. 30th in total yards per game, 31st in passing yards per game, uh, 29th in rushing yards per game, 20. 27th in points per game, and 10th in sacks given up, which I'm going to mention on the Giants' side. But as I mentioned, they have a really good offensive line. David DeCastro being out on Monday is really going to hurt. But let's see how much it stings if the Giants' passers can get back. Now look for the Giants' offense, 23rd in total yards per game, 18th in passing yards per game, 19th in rushing yards per game, 19th in points per game, and 20th in sacks given up. Yep, 43 sacks last year was actually couple fewer than the year before but as you see all the categories other than sacks given up they were better than Steelers offense now the defense is a whole different story for the New York Giants defense 25th in total yards per game 28th in passing yards per game 20th in rushing yards per game they got better at that as the season went on Leonard Williams helped that out efficiently they went from I think it was like 120 130 rushing yards down to like 100 in at least a span of time, I think it was like between, I don't know, week something and the rest of the season. 
Uh, going from there, 30th in points per game. Obviously, a couple falling behind him. And 22nd in sacks. Marcus Golden, obviously leading the pack. As far as that goes, with sacks, he had 10.5 last year. First Giants linebacker to do that since Lawrence Taylor. So, that is mainly my preview. Now, if you want my prediction, I'm going to list it. I have a Giants preview coming out on allnewyorksports.com around 4 or 4.30. I'm going to update it, obviously. Golden Tate is questionable. We don't know if he's going to be back to 100% on Monday. But beat reporters say that he will. But will he likely be used 100%? Maybe not because he doesn't look 100% according to a lot of people right now. And Blake Martinez, he feels good for Monday. Hopefully he's 100% because if he's not, that's going to be tough because we just cut Ryan Connolly and I know everybody's going to be like, oh, get over that. Well, you know what? Devontae Downs isn't necessarily a starting linebacker in the case of past years. He didn't necessarily start at linebacker last year. So let's let's even out the platform here. But as far as predictions to go, I'm going to say the Giants give up at least three sacks on the offensive line. And hopefully, I'm not hoping that to happen, but the Steelers' pass rush is really good. And we're on prime time, and we haven't beat the Steelers since 2008 which isn't necessarily good. We had Eli Manning then, and now we have Daniel Jones. But in the case of the offensive line, I think they give up at least three sacks. TJ Watt's going to give them some pressure, especially coming from Andrew Thomas's side. Cameron Fleming might struggle against Bud Dupree. As I mentioned, he gave up a sack the game against the Steelers when he was with the Patriots in 2017, and Nick Gates might struggle at center. Everybody's thinking, oh, he's going to be good, and, you know, he's a good offensive lineman. That shows in camp, but right now and Monday, it might be a different story because we are facing one of the best defenses in football. As far as the defense goes, I think they'll have some amount of pressure there. It's going to be interesting to what Patrick Graham puts out on the field, but they might pick on Isaac Yadome or somebody like Corey Ballantyne. Darnay Holmes, they might go after, but there could be two ways to go about it. If Darnay Holmes struggles, they'll keep picking on him. If not... If he gets two pass deflections in the first two targets, they're going to be like, okay, you know what? Let's not go there to like maybe late in the game. They'll pick on Valentine. They'll pick on Yadome, And that might be the end of it for the Giants. But I say Daniel Jones might fumble even once because do we know if he's got that fumble thing, you know, really tightened up? He did fumble in the scrimmage, even though it was a couple weeks ago. And nobody was getting hit. So that's that's something to, you know that he needs to work on. And TJ Watt, as I mentioned, eight forced fumbles, Bud Dupree, four forced fumbles. So the tackles need to do good. But I have the Giants offensive line allowing three-plus sacks on Monday night. And for the score, I have the Giants losing 23-13. I don't think the defense is going to be that bad. Maybe, maybe not. I could be wrong. But I don't think the offense will necessarily get back in the game by the time the points are given up and whatever I just think that 23-13 yeah that doesn't look bad but the big chunk plays and the chunk yardage plays that the Steelers create in the secondary are going to be really big time towards their offense and getting their offense really straightened out and hyped up in a way for a lack of better words again now if you go back a couple years ago you know Score always is manipulated in a way because you could say, oh, we lost this score, we lost that score. 23-20, I believe, was a score the Giants lost to the Falcons in 2018. Julio Jones and the rest of their wide receivers, including Marvin Hall, who was a punt returner, 
destroyed the secondary. Absolutely destroyed the secondary. And may seem close, but you have to watch film and actually look at the stats and say how many yards they give up to this receiver, how many rushing yards they give up, because Tevin Coleman had a hell of a game, let's be honest there. But that was two years ago, but going back to my 23-13 point, the chunk yardage plays will be there for Big Ben if the secondary struggles, and that's what I have them doing. You know, maybe Dornay Holmes struggles, maybe he doesn't. Isaac Yaidom and Corey Ballantyne, they are likely to be picked on, because Yaidom... He didn't necessarily have a good season last year. And Ballantyne, same thing too. I mean, Ballantyne struggled in camp as well. We didn't get an extended look at Yaidom. But at the same time, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a smooth walk in the park for them. So my score, 23-13. The Pittsburgh Steelers win against the Giants on Monday Night Football. Uh, as far as offensive line predictions go, I have the Giants offensive line giving up three sacks plus because... This offensive line does not have total continuity yet. And I'm not saying Mark Colombo's a bad coach. But the continuity is not there. Get to build chemistry. So that's what really the Giants subject is mainly about today. Let's skip into my Yankee subject. Okay, so my next subject is the Yankee subject. Uh, they play the Orioles. Yesterday they had the game postponed. So one's at 4, one's at 7, and then the rest are at 1 o'clock Saturday and Sunday. So, it's a weekend special, basically, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to watch. I might flip back and forth between the game and the Jets-Bills game, because my brother is returning the favor by joining me on the stream on Monday night, which reminds me, guys, to tell you. Saturday, no stream. Sunday morning, there will be a stream. I'm not really going to be talking Giants with my friend Sean, my brother Luca. I'm really going to be talking more of NFL, our picks, fantasy players that could go off. A uh, couple other subjects, just like a game day kind of thing. But also, on Monday, we have the Steelers and Giants stream Monday night. That's going to start around 7 o'clock, 7.15 p.m. We're going to discuss a little bit before the game starts. And then we're going to watch the game all together. If you want, join us, join the discussion, all that stuff. We're ready for you, and we're here for you. So anyway, the Yankees... They won the last game against Toronto, but it hasn't really impressed me much other than someone like Davey Garcia, DJ LeMahieu, getting the hits and contributing. So everybody's talked about really the more, I would say, popular subjects about, oh, now the you know next man up has been exposed. Mike Ford isn't hitting, Mike Talkman isn't hitting. I'm not going to really discuss that because most of you guys know already that hasn't worked. And I never believed in Tyler Wade, by the way, but, you know... So, just to show, I don't want you guys getting false hope. But at the same time, I don't want you guys really sitting there and saying, Yankees are going to lose the next seven games. No, that's not going to happen yet. We don't know. We know how the Yankees are. But, the Yankees, over the last ten games, are three and seven. One of those wins being against Toronto. Now, we know how doubleheaders work. Seven innings each. That's it. That's Rob Manfred's new rule because the coronavirus and, oh, we have to keep the players off the field for as much time as possible. But you also have to keep them in the locker rooms and the clubhouses for as less time as possible. But they are 5-7 and seven in doubleheaders. Doubleheaders against the Phillies this year, the Rays. I think we had one against the Orioles earlier this season, maybe actually earlier this month. We had one against the Braves, we had one against the Mets. And if I'm forgetting any, please remind me. 
but that just shows you that we are not good in doubleheaders. So lined up for game one is Cole, then it's Tanaka, then it's Montgomery, then it is Hap. So let me go over their stats before I go over the opposing pitcher stats. Alex Cobb is pitching in that series as well. As I think the guy's name is Akins. I'm going to go over that too. But Garrett Cole, his last start um, in which he lost the game against Baltimore 6-1. to 10 strikeouts, 6 innings pitched, 1 and run, 5 runs, 1 home run, and 2 walks, 3.63 ERA for right now. I'm surprised it hasn't gone up to 4, but I guess... In time being, and the times he doesn't give for the home run, he gets the strikeouts and the other ground outs and whatever outs he needs, and it's not going up to four right now. Will it go up to four? We don't know because it all depends on the Yankees' offense and the pitching and obviously whatever else happens in the game. Game two, Tanaka will be starting at seven. Five strikeouts, 5.1 innings pitch, six hits, four runs, two earned, one walk, one homer. That was a loss against Baltimore, a 5-1 loss. Game 3, Montgomery is going on the mound. That's going to be Saturday's game, tomorrow's game. 1K, 3.1 innings pitch, 6 hits, 2 earned runs, 2 walks, 84 pitches. I'm just including that just in case. 5.72 ERA. He was undecided against Toronto. He didn't do that well. You know, every other hit or every other batter was a hit. And, you know, it just didn't help his situation, even though it wasn't his fault that we lost because Adovino is someone we can't trust all of a sudden. Uh, final score of that one was 12-7. to That was when Danny Jansen hit the grand slam off of Adam Adovino. <laughs> Going for game four on Sunday is Jay Happ, someone I don't like. But in his last start, he pitched rather well. The offense didn't help him out. Had 10 Ks. 6.1 innings pitch, 4 hits, 2 in runs, 2 walks, 1 homer, 4.31 ERA, loss versus Toronto. So, the Yankees staff and the offense have to work together. Same with the bullpen. This, I know this seems like a broken record, but it honestly has to work together. And I guess it somewhat did, didn't help that Cashman came in and talked to the guys in the locker room. The game, on the day that happened, they didn't win. The game after that, they won. So something must have clicked in their brains. However, that didn't help because even though we play Toronto like, what, six, seven more times, we won the final game of the set, but Toronto won the series. And we're the eighth seed right now in the AL. So it's like, you know, we have how many games left and we're going to fool around the rest of the way. No, we got the Marlins. We got Toronto again. We're versing the Orioles right now. And I got to look up. I think we're also versing Boston too. So it's not going to be a cakewalk. And if the Orioles could beat us, if the Blue Jays could beat us, if the Rays can beat us. I mean, the Rays are a better team than anyone in the AL East right now. Possibly could go to the one scene. I don't know. I have to look at the standings again. But my point is being, if we can't beat the teams in our division, if we can't beat any of the teams that are the low-grounded teams, we cannot beat the Red Sox. And I don't want to hear Red Sox fans when they're like, oh, you know, we may have the worst record in the AL or the worst record in the AL East, but, you know, you guys still lost to us. I don't want to hear that. So let's get the pitching going and let's get the offense going. 
Because I don't want to see any more swinging at pitches outside the zone and whatnot. I mean, it will happen, but not as much as I want it to. And at the same time, I don't know what Aaron Boone is doing with Gary Sanchez. At the same time. Because a couple games ago, he's like, oh, I'm going to bench Gary Sanchez. You know, this might help him out. Yeah, bullshit. Bullshit. Tell me a bigger lie. Tell me a bigger lie than that one. I don't think there is one. Because Gary Sanchez was benched. Like, two games later, he starts playing. I'm like, what is this? Eric Kratz is literally doing better. And I've said this before. I said that on the last episode of the episode before that. That Eric Kratz is doing better. So, let's pick it up, people. Now I'm going to read the stats from the opposing pitcher's side and what they did their last starts. Aikens actually won against the Yankees the last start. Okay, so going against Garrett Cole in Game 1, which is the 4 o'clock game, will be Alex Cobb. His last start was against Toronto on the 29th of August. They lost that game. He personally lost that game. It was his decision. 5-0. In his start, he had 4 innings pitch, 8 hits, 4 in runs, 2 walks, 2 Ks. Now I'm going to move to Game 2. Keegan Aiken, 5.1 innings pitch, 3 hits, 4 walks, 8 Ks, and a 2.08 ERA. To be specific, that was an undecided, but the Orioles won against the Yankees 6-1 the last time. Now, going for Kramer, he starts game 3, 6.0, 6 innings pitched, 1 hit, 1 and run, 3 walks, 7 Ks, and 1.50 ERA. He won, personally, his decision, 5-1 against the Yankees the last time. Now, I'm going to go to John Means. Everybody remembers when the Yankees totally destroyed him a couple of months back. Well, actually, it was probably like early August, I would say. They started destroying him with the bats and everything. I'm pretty sure it was either at the stadium or was even in Baltimore. They destroyed him with the bats. But right now, he probably could beat the Yankees right now because they're depleted and they don't have an offense to run on. Now, his last start was against the Mets. He won the game. His final score was 11-2. That was actually three days ago against the Mets. Six innings pitched. Three hits, one earned run, one walk, five Ks. So that's really the starter's preview. But for any final thoughts regarding this, I would say the Yankees need to win three out of four games here, like the Orioles beat them at home in Baltimore. If they want a chance to at least get above the eighth seed and maybe ride back into the mid so they don't have a chance of falling out of the playoffs, this is the series to do it. And against Boston as well. But you need to focus on this series because the Orioles are up and coming just like the Blue Jays. And we cannot sit here and just fall to the teams that are below us truly. Even though they could be above us, we need to stop falling and start winning some games. Because even if we are the A seed and we don't win the series, we will never beat the Rays. I'm going to say that right now. We will never beat the Rays in the first round. I don't care if you got Garrett Cole on the mound. I don't care if you got Davey Garcia on the mound. I don't care who you got on the mound. This team needs to group up and have a team effort and win this game. That's what I have to say. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Obviously, for people watching on YouTube, I have a new format that shows what we are available on. I mean, there's a couple other things I'm missing there, but those are the main ones. And I obviously got the logo in the left corner. Remember, we are streaming Sunday morning and Monday night for the game day stream on Sunday. And then Monday is the Steelers and Giants live stream. Join the conversation. Join the discussion. I have a Discord channel, even though I barely use it. You know, 
for anyone who wants to join in and talk some Giants as well as listed down below. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Big Blue in the Bronx. Podcasts are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, I think, as well now, iHeartRadio, Overcast, and Castbox as well. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, turn on the notifications so when we come out with the podcast episode or even a video or even a live stream, you get the notifications turned on and you can join the discussion. Thank you guys, have a great weekend, and hope that the Giants win on Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday to recap, and you will see us on the stream on on Sunday and Monday.